I'd like to get started, and the first speaker of the morning is Dr. Christina Kenny, who will speak on the current genetics as they relate to certain diseases of the eye. Dr. Kenny earned her Ph.D. from the University of Arizona in Tucson, earned her medical degree here at UCLA, and is the recipient of numerous awards for her teaching. She is an expert in genetics, macular degeneration, and keratoconus. She's currently a professor and director of laboratory research at UC Irvine's Department of Ophthalmology and the Gavin Herbert Eye Institute. Dr. Kenny. Thank you very much. What I'd like to do today is uh, I'm going to talk about the genetics of AMD, glaucoma, and keratoconus. Uh, but initially, because genetics can be a very tough and confusing field, what I'm going to do is give you an overview of some of the genetics, and then I will talk about the specifics. Now, some of you may remember this from your high school biology, but then, again, as a refresher course, what we're going to do is, is just review some things. Now, each cell in the body has 23 pairs of chromosomes. 22 of those are called autosomes, and then you have one pair of sex chromosomes, which would either be XX for female or XY for males. Each individual has two sets of chromosomes. You get one set from the mother and one set from the father. The chromosomes contain many genes, which are collectively referred to as the genome. Now, the human genome has 20 to 25,000 genes, and each cell contains the full complement of, of the DNA or these genes. But different genes are active in different cells. So let's say in liver cells, you'd have the active liver genes, but in brain cells, you'd have the active brain genes. But the genes themselves contain all of the, uh, the full complement. These are photos of the, the chromosomes, and the large chromosome is the pair set one, and they decrease in size all the way to chromosomes 22. You can see they're the smallest, and here's your X and your Y chromosome. Uh, now, as I said before, there are 20 to 25,000 genes, so that means if we have 23 chromosomes, there are literally hundreds of genes on each chromosome. Now, the basic chemical units that provide instruction for cell activities are designated T, I'm sorry, A, T, C, or G. And then what we do in biology is that we have the sequence of the units, and that provides a code. So that you might have an ATG, that codes for one amino acid, a GTT, that codes for something else, a TCG would code for something else. And once the DNA has that code, then the DNA codes for RNA. RNA then makes the amino acids. The amino acids are, are uh, structured together, uh, lined up together. These are all amino acids, and that's what gives you a protein. And then you have a function of the cell. And that's the basic biology of, of uh, genetics. You have the DNA, the RNA, it makes a protein. The protein gives you a function. Now, Kathy Warren asked me to uh, address this question because she gets it all the time. She says, we know that genetics play a role in many diseases, but then we're often asked, if I have a disease, why don't my other family members also have it? And there are rules for genetics. 
One rule is that you get one copy or allele of a gene from each parent. And the second rule is that this is a random process. So for each gene, there are two discrete versions called alleles or copies. The mother has two alleles. Here's the mother in green. The father has two alleles. There they are in black. And the child gets one copy from each parent. So you're going to have black, green, black, green, black, green, black, green. And these, this is called the Mendelian inheritance patterns. The second rule is that it's random. The alleles or copies get shuffled around. So there are different combinations in the offspring, even if they're from the same parents. So, for example, again, here's your mother in green, the father in black. And if you add the, get the, if this child gets these two, the big G's, you're going to have two big G's. If you get this one and this one, you're going to have two small genes. Now, for example, let's just assign the big G to curly hair, and let's assign the small gene to straight hair. This child is going to have curly hair. This child is going to have straight hair, and this child may have wavy hair. And the same thing happens with the diseases. Let's say the disease was associated with the big G. This child might have a disease that this child is not going to have. And that based on this random distribution of genes, if there's a genetic component to a disease, that means not everyone in the family may be affected. So that's our our basic background on a genetic overview. So what I'd like to talk now is about the genetics of AMD. Now, in 2005, multiple laboratories reported associations between AMD and three different genes, complement factor H, age-related maculopathy susceptibility 2 gene, which we refer to as ARMS, and the high-temperature requirement factor A1, which we refer to as HTRA. The CFH gene is located on chromosome 1, which is that big chromosome. It has a nucleotide change. It causes an amino acid change. The ARMS2 is located on chromosome 10, as is the HTRA gene. Now, the function of these genes vary. The CFH gene inhibits inflammation. So if you have low levels of CFH, you have high levels of inflammation. The ARMS2 gene binds extracellular matrix, and the HTRA1 is an enzyme that breaks down binding proteins. Now, people have done population association studies, and they found that gene changes affect some populations, but not other populations. For example, the HTRA and the ARMS variants, people that have that uh, have a higher association of AMD in the Caucasian and the Japanese groups. But people that have the CFH variant, they have a higher risk if they're Caucasian, but not if they're Japanese. So what that means is that gene risks vary among populations. Now, there's something called population attributable risk. And they've done studies, and they've shown if you have the HTRA variant alone, your risk of having AMD is 49%. But if you have the CFH variant alone, it's 43%. But for the individuals that have HTRA plus CFH, then your risk goes up to 71%. So what that means is that if you have two gene variants, you have a much higher risk for AMD. Now, genetic factors account for 46 to 71% of AMD, 
But environmental factors also play a role. And the modifiable risk factors for AMD are smoking and increased body mass index. That's a fancy way of saying obesity. So people have looked at the population attributable risk, and they found that the ARMS uh, variant alone is 36%. The CFH variant is 43%. Smoking alone, that means smoking without any genetic risk factors, you'd give you 21%. But if you have CFH, ARMS, and smoking, your risk goes up to 61%. So the combination of genetic susceptibility and modifiable risk factors give you a higher risk than individual factors alone. So what these studies have shown is that AMD is a complex disease. Their multiple genes are associated, and genetic and modifiable risk factors are important. Now, all the genes that I've been talking about have to do with the nucleus. And when we think of DNA, we think of the nucleus. But there's another type of DNA in a cell, and they are from small little structures in the, in the cell called mitochondria. The mitochondria are very important. They provide energy for the cell through ATP production. But the mitochondria are also very unique because they have their own DNA. The mitochondrial DNA is inherited only from the mother with no contribution from the father. So this just shows a, a diagram. This is the nuclear DNA. You get half from the mother, half from the father. It's a double helix. As opposed to the mitochondrial DNA, you get it only from the mother, and it's circular. Now, the mitochondrial DNA codes for only 37 genes. And remember when we talked about the nuclear DNA, we talked about it coding for 20 to 25,000 genes. So here the mitochondrial DNA is only 37 genes. But it's very important because it, code, it makes 13 proteins that are used for energy production. Now, over time, single nucleotide polymorphisms, which are called SNPs, have accumulated in mitochondria. They are associated with specific geographic regions, classified into ancestral mitochondrial haplogroups, and these haplogroups have been used to study human migration patterns. And this is just a map of the high haplogroups. The oldest haplogroups are in Africa, and then as populations spread throughout the world, there are changes in the mitochondrial DNA, and these changes are represented in these SNPs, and these SNPs then represent that group of people. So they're European SNPs, they're Asian SNPs, and they're SNPs that represent the Americas. Now, AMD is much more frequent in Asian I mean, in uh, Caucasian populations. Therefore, we examine the common European haplogroups. This was in collaboration with Dr. Wallace, who's an expert in mitochondria, and he's at UCI, and also uh, Dave Boyer, who you'll be hearing later today. What we found is that the mitochondrial haplogroups, J, U, and T, are more common in AMD patients. These, originate, these haplogroups originate from northern Europe. Many of the SNPs defining the JUT haplogroups cause amino acid changes. So even though these patients that we're seeing are all here in Southern California, their original ancestors were from northern Europe. Now, our findings have also been uh, supported by other findings. One study showed that the JT haplogroup, the SNPs, uh, are associated with advanced AMD. Another study showed that the T-associated SNP is an independent predictor of AMD. 
and that the J and U haplogroups are associated with clinically recognized AMD retinal lesions. So in summary, for the AMD findings, we found that we know that they're both nuclear and mitochondrial genes are associated with AMD. We know that gene variants can be additive. If you have multiple genes, you have higher risk. And that gene variants can combine with modifiable behavior, smoking and obesity, to further the risk. Now, I'd le briefly like to go into the keratoconus because we have a, a large group that's interested in keratoconus. And it's known that increased uh, keratoconus is in, in identical twins at a higher rate than the general population. It's also known that 6 to 10% of KC patients have one or more family members with KC. Already, 10 different chromosomes have been linked to keratoconus. And the chromosome that we're the most interested in is chromosome 21. In a large family, there was a reported linkage between KC and chromosome 21. In addition, patients with chromosome 21 have a higher incidence of KC. Therefore, we looked at genes on chromosome 21 that might be associated with KC. And we focused on a, a gene called superoxide dismutase, SOD1. It's an antioxidant enzyme. And what it does is it removes the superoxides. The superoxides are like free radicals. Uh, uh, they're, they're elements that can damage cells. And what this enzyme does, it prevents oxidative damage to the cells. And the way we approached this study is that we isolated the DNA from 15 families and 156 unaffected uh, subjects. This just shows that we isolated the DNA from both the affected family members and the unaffected family members, and then 156 normal. Once we isolated the DNA, then we sequenced it, and we found that two of the families, uh, the affected family members, had DNA deletions in the SOD1 gene. What that means is they had shorter pieces of DNA. But the unaffected family members had no deletions in the DNA, and there were no deletions in the 156 normal individuals. And this just shows you what we did. This is one family. This is another family. The squares are the males. The circles are females. If the person is affected, the, it is black. If they're not affected, it's white. We looked at the DNA, and if you look at this uh, lower panel, you can see that there's a large band that's all the way across, and for most people, there's just one single band. But in some members, they had this second band, and that represents the shorter DNA. Now, if you remember from the beginning, I talked about DNA makes RNA, RNA makes protein. So the next step is to look at the RNA. And what we found is that when you had the undeleted DNA, you had full-length RNA. But if you had the deleted DNA, you had shorter RNA. Now, if you have shorter RNA, this is going to alter the protein, and then the function, that's going to change the function. You're going to have decreased activity of the SOD1 gene. If that happens, then you're going to have higher levels of superoxides and tissue damage. But this SOD1 change, we only found in two families, but not other family members. So it's, we feel it's very unlikely that KC is caused by a single gene defect. And that also is uh, supported by the fact that there are 10 different chromosomes that have been associated with KC. 
so it's most likely that Casey has multiple genes involved. And we propose that the genes belong to common pathways that are involved in oxidative stress, tissue degradation, and corneal structural proteins. And I will be talking about this, these pathways and how they affect KC in the uh, session later today. Now, the final thing I want to talk about is the uh, genetics of glaucoma. 50% of glaucoma patients have a family history of primary open-angle glaucoma. 16 chromosomes and 20 gene variants have already been associated with the open-angle glaucoma. Three of these genes are myosillin, which is on chromosome 1 and accounts for up to 5% of the open-angle glaucoma, Optineurin, which is on chromosome 10 and accounts for 16%. And then there's another gene called WDR36, which is on chromosome 5, and that accounts for 17%. But if you add up 5% and 16% and 17%, that still accounts for less than half of the cases of glaucoma. So basically, it's very likely that other genes are involved, and we don't know exactly how they all fit together. Now, just like in AMD, there were modifiable risks. Same thing for glaucoma. Caffeine can increase the intraocular pressure uh, for a short period of time. If somebody's into yoga and stands on their head for a long period of time, that really can increase the pressure in their eye. Tight neckties, weightlifting, and wind instruments can also elevate the pressure. So if you do all those things, you're, <laughs> that's probably not good. Um, so bottom line is that glaucoma has genetic factors. They're also environmental factors. But we're not really sure exactly how they all fit together, and this definitely requires further studies. And this is especially true because there are numerous types of glaucoma. There's glaucoma in families. There's some people that have sporadic glaucoma. There's some children that are born with glaucoma, congenital glaucoma, and there's something called secondary glaucoma. Now, so the take-home message from all of this, because I know it's a lot of information on three different diseases, but you can sort of bring it together and, ha and give a take-home message, and that is that all these eye diseases, they're very, very complex. There are multiple genes involved. It's not like there's one gene that causes this disease. There are many genes involved. And modifiable risk factors play an important role. But fortunately, nowadays the technology is such that we have new techniques to analyze for very large numbers of genes, and many of these studies are ongoing to identify the genes, the common pathways, and the risk factors. And I'd like to just uh, thank the people that have supported us and are my collaborators. Thank you very much.